You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Jordan Shively, uh, publisher, editor, cartoonist. Anything else I should add to that? Um, no good Nick. No good Nick. American no good Nick. Uh, <laughs> Jordan has been publishing the very pretty and well-designed Hive anthologies uh, from, is it Grimalkin Press? That's your little... Yeah, Grimalkin Press, yeah. Um, Hive, not just having good insides, but also one of my... I love the design work that you've been putting into it. As far as aesthetically, um, each book has a very unique feel to it. And, uh, yeah, that's part of like the way we look at publishing books, is that like all the design and all the, the bindering and stuff is just as important as getting really good artists to be inside of it, because we like to think of our books as little art objects, you know, and that everything has a different, interesting kind of, like, take on bookmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you want to start doing the Hive Anthology? What was it that you felt was that you needed to add? Um, very... You know, that's a good question. Why does anyone need to add to the already lots of anthologies? And sometimes you think maybe you shouldn't, but um, we did it because we like it. Like, it, it kind of started out originally as there was a drawing group that I was part of and we were all cartoonists and then I started kind of like saying well why shouldn't I just make a book and stuff and then the more and more I got into like the book making and stuff and that's like what I wanted to do so the highest kind of was an easy way to start out because it's an anthology and you just kind of collect stuff and it's not really less of a focus than a single artist book and so we would just get people who we liked and make them and um now we're kind of moving away from that. Hive is going to become yearly instead of quarterly. So, and because we're focusing on some single artist books, but I I like anthologies, and that's why we started with anthologies. Was it ever actually quarterly? Nope, never. That's why it's somewhat, <laughs> quarter, somewhat quarterly. Yeah, I think the most we got out was like three one year, and then like two the next, or something like that. Or maybe it was two and then three. Well, no, we never hit we never hit quarterly. <laughs> I was just looking. I've got three, four, and five, and three is from two thousand nine. Four is from two thousand ten. Yeah, oh yeah. And yeah. five I just came got, out. One, yeah, one like one year we got one out. So I was like, we're good. this is about an annual thing. <laughs> and I think the next one is not it's not even gonna say a somewhat quarterly anthology, it's gonna it's gonna say a comics anthology and quit bad dreams. You know, <laughs> <laughs> dreams crushed. Snap. I know it's a, it's a financial thing, really. You know, we're like, wow. I don't think I can afford to do this four times a year. But <laughs> um, now you originally you're from Springfield. Is that Montana? No, that's where. I, no, I lived in Springfield, Missouri, for Missouri. seven years. But I'm originally from Louisiana. Oh wow. So, yeah, but I grew up in southern Mexico, so kind of everywhere. <laughs> That's quite the uh, the move to end up in Minneapolis. Yeah, it was. It's kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing, too. How do you feel about the winters there after uh, growing up in more... Um, it's ridiculous. Like, walking that... I was kind of shocked, like, my first couple of months here, because I moved here in December, and it was uh, the week that they had so much snowfall, it collapsed the Viking Dome. I think that like it was like the biggest snowfall in like eighty years, so I kind of was in for it by shock. How long have you lived there now? Um, just like six months since oh, okay. December. So. All right, not too long. Yeah. 
So tell me about your history in comics and kind of what got you into uh, wanting to make anthologies. Was there any anthologies in particular you'd read? Actually, the anthology thing is something I came to pretty late. My history in comics is kind of like the normal kid history. Like when I was a kid, I read a lot of Spider-Man and would always draw it and try to draw it and stuff and wanted to be a comic artist. But then around, I guess, like 16, I kind of like moved on from that because I had so many friends who were so good at it, I kind of felt like intimidated. And then in my early 20s, I kind of came back to it through graphic design and drawing concert posters and designing CD covers and then started reading tons more comics and deciding, yeah, why why have I not been doing this? I've been wasting all of my schooling not doing this. (laughs) (laughs) So So when you started Hive, there wasn't anything particular you'd seen that's like... Kind of something you wanted. No, there to wasn't do. really an anthology that kind of sprung to my mind. Um, later on, I read a bunch of extremely good anthologies, you know, but like the Kramers and stuff. But yeah, that was it's coming just from like wanting to have my friends in a book together. And I came up with this anthology word, but I mean, I guess someone else already did. So, <laughs> what was the cartooning scene like in Springfield? Um, there's a few people. There's um, it's, actually it wasn't much of a scene. It was just like two or three people. But there was like Chris Mostyn, who is extremely good, and Mark Light, who is the the co-designer on all the books. What well, was the co-designer on the books? He just moved to Portland. But um, yeah, it was kind of just the scene you make it. Because at first, everyone was like, kind of like, we should move, people should move to Chicago and stuff. And I was like, well, you know, kind of culture is what you make it. So let's start our own little scene. So. Um, um, what was the choice behind behind moving to Minneapolis? The print scene, actually. Yeah. Having said that, but I was I, I um I wasn't even re- I haven't really been living in Springfield the last two years. I was traveling around catering for the film industry, and I, so most of my friends had moved away, so there was like nothing for me in Springfield. So I was kind of looking around the country, deciding where I wanted to move, and I was seeing like Portland, you know, or when Minneapolis kind of stood out more as like a printmaking scene and the print printing presses and it was like voted the most literate city in the US and all that kind of stuff so I decided to come up here there's something to be said about and the beautiful the beautiful winters yeah well there's something to be said about the um, how the winters affect people creatively or creatively uh, because of being forced to be inside so much there's a lot well, that's of all that. you do is you you like trudge to work and come home and just sit in your house and draw because you're not going outside in negative 40. No. How did it affect you coming into this scene of Minneapolis and seeing the plethora of work there? Oh, it was, it was great, actually. Like, it was nice to have some, get some good friends who, like, you can actually get feedback from and stuff. And, um, yeah, it's, just, it's a nothing but bonus for that in that area. There's a lot of good people to bounce things off of. A lot of really good printmaking people who, who can interact with and work on the covers and stuff and a lot better access to machinery. They have like the great open book thing which is like a whole center of bookmaking machinery that you can go and use. Oh wow. So for all like the, the trimming and the book binding and stuff it's a lot better. That's to make it a lot more cost effective. Yeah because before you'd have to like either like break into the university and use their equipment which is what we did for a couple of the, of the covers. Um but by break in, I mean walk in. We didn't like have any forced entry. We just weren't students and probably weren't supposed to be using their printing presses. But 
Yeah, but yeah, here it is. It's very geared towards wanting the public to be involved in bookbinding and lots of arts. There's a lot of funding for the arts in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So. With in the uh, like, I'm curious because you talk about the printing. Hive number three was that letterpress print. That cover. The cover was yeah, it was, yeah. It was like I think it was old Heidelback machine. Is um, it was a proof press for newspapers. I probably my print my print press friend is probably wincing because I probably just killed the name of that machine. But um, it was the old proof press for the newspapers where it was all like the movable type and you had to set it up by hand. Like the, the big letters on there were all wooden letters. Yeah. And then the little tiny subscript was all lead. And so we, it took um, my friend Doug Wilson about two hours to set that up. And then it took us like 16 hours to run all those covers. So you just kind of put it down and run it through the machine by hand. And that was what they used to use for newspapers. So they would set up all their type and then have the plates ready so they can run a, a copy press to see if it was all right before they went and brought those plates to the big machine. Nice. And so we used it for those covers. <laughs> <laughs> How many did, covers did you end up doing? We ended up doing 350. Oh, okay. And so that two sides, like, yeah, 700 run-throughs. So much work. With, you know... Because everyone, you run one through, then you have to like reset the paper in the back paper so it doesn't like print on the other side, and then re-ink the, but we ink it by hand with a roller, so then you run it through. So yeah, it take, takes a while. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever kind of feel overwhelmed with what you've taken on as far as printing? Only on this, only on this last one. Like high five, I felt a little bit overwhelmed with all the the hand folding of the vellum dust jackets and then the making of the belly bands. Just because this is like the one where I'm in Minneapolis kind of by myself doing this in my apartment. And I probably will never work with Bellum ever again. So, <laughs> so you didn't... It's like the most finicky material ever. Yeah. How, how is it that stuff printed on the Vellum? Um, that is actually printed with a, just a printer. Oh, okay. And then, and then, the, and then the bands are subscreened. Because we, we kind of messed around and tried printing on the Vellum and it just would just... It just fucked it to hell. You know? It would a lot, probably. Coming through. Yeah, and like it would just stick and then like not come through. And there might be some way to do it, but as far as someone listening who's like, I know exactly what you should have done. But I couldn't figure it out, so we just printed those and then hand, hand self-screen and cut down all the belly bands and stuff. Um, Did you have a scoring machine at all, or just all folded by uh, No, we tried to use scoring, and then like every time I, even using a, like a boner, you know, it wouldn't like wouldn't score correctly. It was like you would it would crack the the vellum. So I had to do each of those by kind of just like by hand. I like made a little jig in my house, and which really is just like three lines drawn on paper where I'm supposed to be folding, and overlay it, and then just kind of fold it by each one by hand. God, you must have gone crazy. Yeah, and I still need about three hundred more. And all the contributors who are waiting for their copies, that's what I'm working on this week, so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bro. I, like, I, I did, like, a, I, I quickly, like, spent, like, four or five nights getting them ready for TCAF, like, just folding them, like, all night long, and then now I'm kind of, like, looking, getting back in, like, oh, I have to fold more. <laughs>
How has it been for you, uh, kind of going to more conventions with this? And um, I like it. It's really good. I mean, it's. I mean, I think people who think going to conventions is going to follow their financial needs need to rethink why they go to conventions. But it's definitely amazing to go and network and get to know people. You know, that to me, that's why it's worth it because you get yeah. to go and talk to people and get like recharged. Like your your creative batteries and your drive, you know. Sometimes by yourself in your house in the Minnesota winters, you're like, I mean, am I doing this just out of some sense of hubris? You know, I know I I know I want to do this, but really, does does the world need another anthology? And then you go to these conventions and people like it and stuff, and you're like, oh yeah, that's why I'm fucking doing this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, the latest hive, hive number five. Um, this one starts the appearance of. Um, my friend and your friend, uh, Noah Van Skyver's the the hypo, uh, his Abraham yeah, Lincoln that's, story. Yeah, that's gonna be so good. Tell me about your plans with Noah. Um, we printed one mini with Noah. It's a little collection of from his blammo Noah novella, and we're kind of tentatively going to continue serializing the the hypo thing until some huge um, publisher grabs them and then bans us and sues us. <laughs> or whatever is going to happen with that, but we already have like an installment for Hive Six from that, complete with um, paper dolls. So oh jeez, but um, yeah, but like I'd love to do more with Noah in the future. I know he has a book coming out with 2D Press, I mean 2D Cloud, sorry, with Rain Hogan from 2D Cloud. He has a Lovejoy mini with him, but we'd love to do more with him in the future. I think he's getting better and better. Like I mean, he's his art from Blamo One to now is like. It's amazing, the, the journey. His stuff has grown exponentially. Like the new one, like the new Blamo is like, oh, it's genius. Like the, his lines and everything. No, it's... Uh, I can't say enough good stuff about Van Skyver. Huh? I can't say enough good stuff about Van Skyver. No, he's, uh, he's, he's one of my favorite young guys right now. And I think uh, no matter what he's going to do, it's going to be awesome. Unless it's more of that stuff with those chickens. Then I'll just get angry. Yeah. <laughs> He'll never quit doing this. <laughs> Despite it... how much we beg. <laughs> I feel like he's doing it just to piss me off. Oh, most definitely. It's, it's, <laughs> I think it's definitely like a, a little bit of like a ornery tilt to it, you know, like you know, you guys don't like this, I'm gonna do more. See how you like that. <laughs> this is my damn book. <laughs> Tell me like um you really seem to make an effort with Hive to not focus in one general area or niche. Um, tell me about how you kind of go for finding people for the anthology. Um, it's We get a lot of submissions, but also it's a lot of people who I ask to be in it. Um, I kind of go for people who are on the fringe of comics, in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to try to find people who, who don't have big publishing contracts and who you know, who whose stuff is really good, but it's not quite what would fit with publish a normal publisher's view, either from subject material or maybe the art's really weird or something like that. But you know, and also, I mean, I I I, I guess maybe a folk, more focused anthology is enjoyable for some people. But I like to just have a, you know show you as big of a different cross cut of the indie world as I possibly can with every issue. You know, everywhere from people who are still working in kind of like genre comics but obviously not being published with their weird-ass genre comics, 
yeah. and also like people who are doing like a little weird slice of life but I kind of like kind of just it's more like an inevitable thing that like I like this so I'm going to put it in there you know I don't really can't always say why I like it academically but you know I noticed you have Danny Hellman in your latest one some older strips by him and I'm curious of uh, yeah. the choice of putting in older work yeah we have, we have um yeah, we have, we actually have some of the people from the older generations in there. Well, I just like also mean older work too. in particular because like his, his work is from like 1995. That's oh, yeah, I got that ancient. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just you know, not that the it's just you know, normally in anthologies it's all all new work, but this is old work. So. Oh yeah, we definitely that's that's definitely not um, how we go about it. We like say if you want to like have a little excerpt from your current book you're working on or or excerpt from something you're trying to sell we'll put that in there if we like it you know because we're also we're trying to promote people too yeah. that's part of what high i mean what malcolm press is about is getting the word out there about people who i mean helmet obviously people know about him it's just kind of fun to work with him yeah <laughs> danny's crazy we have had we have had some like better known people in it but that's not like what we're going for we're not trying to put together an all-star roster that will like sell in every single bookstore which would be nice but that's not well, I'm not choosing people based <laughs> on that success um, well tell me about some of the other folks some of the newer younger folks that really gotten you excited while putting this together I, Cole Klosser is somebody who I, I love um, he's from Missouri and he has like this kind of this ethic of like the gasoline alley kind of old school feel to him um, he does a thing online called Little Tommy Lost, and it's amazing. It's kind of like the old little orphan who is lost in the city kind of thing. He's the, he's the first thing in the book, mm-hmm. and um, he does that Finnegan Frog comic, and I, I, I like all those old school comics, so I really really like what he's doing, and he hasn't published anything yet. I mean, Dick Hive, Hive and also his, some books he did for like his senior art project is like the only stuff he has published so far, so... As soon as people find out about him, he's gonna go. Um, I really like Mofton a lot too. Hot Crawl's someone who I love his stuff. In. Yeah, Crawl is amazing. Even Which... though he's all hot dogs these days, but <laughs> what do you mean? I know, like he, he's he's very thankfully gotten very successful in the food illustration world. Oh, I had so no we idea. Don't get as many comics. We don't we don't get as many comics out of him as we like to even though he's working on like 10 pages for a food anthology that we probably will put out one day. But um, yeah, he is getting really famous drawing hot dogs for all these different food magazines and stuff. Also other food, but hot dogs, he's like the hot dog guy. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> His specialty is drawing They're beautiful hot dogs. though. They're like, these, like, they're like these exploded scientific views of like all the ingredients like revolving around it like, you know, satellites around a planet. This plane is definitely crashing! 
So you said you're publishing uh, a strip, the the stuff by Noah. Is there anyone else that you didn't mention that you're taking on to publish particular small works or? Yes, um, we're we're actually going to this year at some point um, do our first big book by Phil McAndrew. Oh so yeah, a, it's going to be a two hundred. It's going to be a two hundred plus book. Um, yeah, that's going to be our first main like artist book. So let's really, talk we're about. Super excited about working with you. Let's talk about Phil and embarrass him for a couple of minutes. Um, he it, is so cute. Oh my god. <laughs> well, oh, oh, you mean about his art? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be objectifying the the, the <laughs> handsome <laughs> lad. Uh, <laughs> hi, Phil. Um, you guys did that Kickstarter to help fund the book. Yeah, no, that's actually not to help fund the book. It's to help. It's his Kickstarter. It's like we're there's some pre-sales in there, but it's mostly for him to have money so he can not work and just draw. Because, yeah, it's it wasn't a Grimalk and Press Kickstarter at all. Okay. It was a Phil McAndrew kind of like artist living wage Kickstarter. And at first we weren't offering like the book because I didn't know how that was going to work out. But um, we figured out how to work it so that like we I wouldn't lose all my money if I offered free copies of the book as incentives. Yeah, depending on how much people gave and what. Yeah, exactly. And we we figured a way out to do it because it wasn't my Kickstarter, so like all the money was hopefully going to him, you know, for his living expenses. So that would be bad for printing costs. <laughs> <laughs> um, how long had you been planning on doing a book with Phil? Um, probably about six months now or so. It, it's one of those Twitter business deals, you know, like people mention, mention like, oh, I wish I could do a book and stuff. I'm like, really? You know, let's talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> what up, bro? Because there's, there's these people, all these amazing artists who you don't even think that publishers are passing up on, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, Vince Kyber, I mean, he's in talks with people, but like, why has it taken this long, you know, or Phil McAndrew, I mean, I can't believe people haven't been beating down his door to publish his books. I, I so, you know, it's, that's the, the loss of the bigger publishers, you know, wise up guys, these amazing artists are just sitting there wanting you to give you their work, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be dumb and not do it, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, Phil Phil's interesting. Like, I think uh, I think big things will come from him as he gets oh, older. Oh, he, he's a, he's a full threat there, man. He can do it all. He's really good at like single illustrations. He could be a book illustrator, but he also he has a great feeling for like the the move and the comedic punchlines and comics and stuff. So I mean, yeah. Now the book is it going to be a collection of all new stuff or a lot of his? It's going to be a collection of some old stuff, but it's going to be like a hundred pages of new stuff. So, yeah, it's going to be a little bit both. So it's kind of going to be the ending of all his minis. Like, he won't reprint any of that stuff anymore after this. All yeah. his Are You Man Enough and stuff, since that'll be in the book, and then 100 pages of new stuff, and then anything after that, he's just going to start working on new stuff from here on out. Hopefully for books, I guess. Yeah, uh, I think some of, those book, some of the big publishers who need illustrations should look him up. Definitely. And he's got that great kind of... Ronald Searle kind of thing going on. So. Yeah. A little post-Stedman. Yeah. Stedman, but with actually some type of guiding anything. <laughs> hey, now, careful. Careful. <laughs> no, I like Stedman. I just every once in a while, I'm like, yeah, okay. 
You might have thought about composition a little bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't. I... <laughs> we'll have to agree to disagree, I mean, Jordan. Stedman's awesome now. I mean, he's working on beer beer labels. So, I mean, obviously, he's got where he wants to go. <laughs> Oh. 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 <laughs> and wine. <laughs> he does wine it's too. Classy. Yeah. Classy. The classy, classy gentleman. Um, were you guys pretty surprised by the support that Phil got with his Kickstarter? I wasn't surprised, but I was very happy. You know, I mean, I I thought he would make it, but I mean, two days. I mean, hot damn. I mean, two days crazy. and then two grand over. I know. It's, I'm so happy for him. He can, he can definitely make the book now. <laughs> <laughs> so when do you think that'll be that the book you um, expect to get out or hope that, that, to get out? Um, I'm hoping by the end of the year. We'll see. I'm kind of like looking at when would be the best time to release it as far as like conventions and being able to have enough lead time with reviews and stuff. Because mm -hmm. I, I really want there to be a really good push behind this book, so I don't want to just release it at a weird time in the year when it'll kind of just fall in between other stuff. Yeah, like don't put it out during Christmas. Oh. So def yeah, definitely, maybe in time for like next TCAS or something like that, mm -hmm. which is kind of far out. Maybe SPX. Who knows? SPX is yeah, we, soon. We, we we yeah, I mean like sometime <laughs> in the future. <laughs> That's that's me saying I have no we don't have no set date and <laughs> not putting a number on it yet. <laughs> I just start blathering random conventions. Yeah. Is why do you feel the conventions important thing to be tied into as far as releasing? Um, I think it's because a lot of people go there just to buy things, you know, and also it's like there's a lot of other people promoting it besides myself if it's at a convention. Mm -hmm. because the convention people themselves want to promote the big new releases that are only at their convention. So if you get a good one, they'll put a lot of their marketing muscle into it as well. So it's kind of a way to get some marketing besides your own ways you come up with, which is pretty much the hardest thing about indie publishing is figuring out all the distribution and the marketing, you know. For someone who never studied it, it's pretty confusing. Have you gotten any market. distribution for Hive at all? Uh, we we done a, a couple things, you know, like um, just online distros and stuff, and but not really. Like we had Barnes and Noble for a while, but they're a, kind of a very pain in the ass to work with. Yeah. So I guess I can never look at them again now. That I've said that on the radio. Oh, but, I hope um, they've listened. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just like it's like you get your check like six months later and stuff. So it's kind of like really weird to work with, but um. We done a couple. We done local stores and stuff. So, but we're still working on, like the the other stores around the country and stuff. So, what about like someone like Tony Shinton? Yeah, so, so, uh, I actually just talked to Tony Shinton not too long ago. So that's probably someone we're gonna work with. I just, you know, haven't got or gotten up to it yet. Yeah. Well, he's a good man. I will. I will. Yeah, say. I, I I had no no idea who he was until like got an email. So. Oh, I've nice. been fully investigating him. <laughs> yeah, no, he's uh, really great as far as, like, getting the right books into the right stores for folks. Yeah. And, like, he's very hands-on kind of guy. Cool. I very definitely have to use him based upon that yeah. recommendation. He's very old school, but in a good way. So he's got, like, a nice tie and everything. Uh, No. 
<laughs> I just mean the the whole personal aspect, what it is that he does. Like um, nowadays, distributors, as most people in comics know, it's just a couple of cold vacuums that suck up your comics and cough them out in comic stores. But he's and tell you you haven't met the minimums. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the diamond minimum. Yeah, that diamond thing is crazy. What are they doing? <laughs> is that, do you think you'll ever get into diamond? And now that they up their minimum, maybe not, you know? I mean, if Fanagraphics can't meet their, I mean, Adrona Quarterly can't meet their minimums, I mean, I'm not sure when I'm going to meet it anytime soon. <laughs> well, Adrona Quarterly's monthly titles didn't. Isn't it? Yes, yeah, so I'm saying, like, you know, I mean, that that's enough of, yeah. I We looked into it, my friend Britt Sabo, used them, but that was, like, right before they changed the minimum sales and stuff, so. I think, like, our print run doesn't even exceed it yet. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, okay, so you got Phil McAndrew, Hive, and uh, Noah, anything else in the pipeline you're excited about? Uh, we have a few projects that, that we can't talk about that I'm excited about just because the contracts haven't been signed and stuff, but there's definitely other solo artist books in the future that we're looking at. So, I mean, that's not great for a radio show saying the <laughs> mysterious non-things that we can't not talk about, but... You're no good I'm excited about the next high, so... so you know it's not going to be until next year. Till 2012? Somewhat annually? Yeah, it's going to... Somewhat, somewhat annual. <laughs> somewhat annual. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like somewhat... Every, once a decade, maybe. No, but we have, like, Vincent Stahl is, like, King Mini of King Mini fame is doing all the silk screen hand covers for that one, so we're excited about that. Oh wow! No, I. That's one of the things that first attracted me to the Hive books was I picked up the third one at a convention. I was really drawn towards um, just the work that had gone into the production of it. Did you get it from Matt Kent? Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. I'm like, you like, I need all these copies. So I'm gonna sell it from our table. I'm like. That's fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime Matt Kent is personally pimping your books, that's that's fine. <laughs> no, he's a he's a gentleman. But yeah, we're just like print. We're really just like kind of print design nerds. So that's the part that I get most excited about. Did I mean, I even quit putting myself in the book because I felt that was kind of I mean maybe gauche a little bit to be putting myself in my own anthology. So now it's all designed for me. <laughs> <laughs> Cheating a little. It was kind of cheating a little, in my opinion, because, I mean, the reason you get put in anthologies is because people like your work. And so, I mean, it's kind of very weird to say, I like my own work, so that's why I'm no longer in Hive. <laughs> I can understand the reasoning for that. I mean, you want the validation, too. You want, like, someone else to say your stuff is good enough that they're going to put it in their book. So, I mean, there's zero validation in putting your own stuff in your own book. I also kind of see the... Uh that kind of balance of, you know, is it a vehicle for for yourself or for the particular larger work as a whole? Yeah. And now when I have to turn people down, I can say, hey, man, look, I didn't even put myself in it. I didn't make <laughs> it in. What up, brah? I didn't make it in. Come on. It's not just you. <laughs> <laughs> have you been getting a lot of submissions? Has it gotten pretty now that um, it's, it's a crazy more amount out there? of submissions? Yeah, it's that's I spend a, most of my time writing emails now. Like of like like my compressed workload, a lot of it has become just correspondence. Yeah. Because yeah, I get 
six or seven submissions a day sometimes. So wow, a lot of them from mostly from England and Germany <laughs> right now. So I guess having uh, Joe DC we're, in your we're book. big over there. <laughs> we're big in Germany. That's too bad. <laughs> um, has having Joe, yeah, Joe DC? DC man. Yeah, how's that done for as far as like creating an English audience for the work? Um, I think that that's probably helped a lot. I mean, Joe DC is pretty awesome, but I think having like um, Martin Steeton really like it over to Void the Future has done a, a lot for our British audience. Yeah, I think that's where most people over there found us is from Martin writing about us. Nice. So, so would you say it's pretty important to get books into the hands of various comics bloggers? as far as a promotion Oh, I technique. think that's probably one of the things I've seen as the best for, as far as promotional goes. I think getting reviews has been, like, better than any type of other type of advertising you try to do. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Like, you know, the Daily Crosshatch and stuff, because people are saying, they tell you when they buy, like, oh, I saw you over at the Daily Crosshatch, or I read about this, you know, over on the Comics Journal, and that's where, you know, that's coming from. Yeah. It's it's just interesting to see the uh, the role of that form of comics media, um, you know, really being turning up to be more and more important as far as getting people to know about what. Oh going no, on. it's it's crazy how like comics bloggers or news bloggers in general have become so like legit in their own right. You know, someone if someone's good, they can start a, a blogger and they become an authority on an area as long as they're what they're putting out is decent. I've had people call me authority, and I laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> Someone called me a tastemaker, and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> then you can use that. Yeah. And... Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Jordan, for uh, taking the time to, to, to chat with me um, about your Oh, books. yeah, man, thank you. Just a reminder, folks, Grimalkin Press, Hives, uh, what do you still have in print? Four and five? Mom, just five. Just five. Only copies of five left. Yeah. And uh, Noah Van Skyver's uh, novella. No. Yep. The the mini comic. Um, how do you spell Grimalkin for folks to Google it? It's G R I M A L K I N, and it's an old word that means like a really crotchety, crabby cat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like a grumpy cat. So grumpy cat for us. But don't please don't start calling us that. <laughs> Grumpy Cat Press. All right, I'm gonna. That just sounds like that sounds that. like I like to get tea cozies or something. Yeah, you're. It, All right, it's a furry press. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> All right, I'm gonna totally get furry people to uh, to start submitting to you. You're welcome in advance. <laughs> uh, well thanks Jordan for uh, for chatting with you today bud thanks for having us